first reading um, Isaiah chapter 65, 17 to 19. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they, be, will, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Second reading, 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3 to 14. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, for God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, all, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of, of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. Stephen, one of the ministers here. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. That was uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, 
who's known as the father of the atomic bomb. Not really something great to be known for. And it was him speaking about the Trinity test, the first ever detonation of an atomic weapon. Do you know, next Sunday will actually be the, the 78th anniversary of that test. And then just a few weeks later will be the 78th anniversary of, of the time a bomb was first dropped on Hiroshima. Which means there's actually a, a very small handful of us here who have known a world without nuclear weapons. Um, you know, if that's you and you, you feel comfortable saying, um, who has known this world without nuclear weapons? There's, there's a few. <laughs> Maybe about five, I reckon. But of course, that means most of us here, we've, we've never known that world. We've only ever known a, a world where nuclear disaster is possible. And yet, even though many of us have grown up living with this danger, my guess is probably most of us haven't really been all that worried about it, at least you know, for most of the last 30 years. We've probably not been all that worried about it. And if you were born after the Cold War and, and not even sure what the Cold War was, maybe you've never been worried about nuclear war. But if you were born before the end of the Cold War, chances are you remember being worried, like... Um, like Brian shared before. I remember being quite disturbed in primary school by a book called Sudoku and the Thousand Paper Cranes. I wonder if you've ever read this. It's about a young girl who's dying of leukemia because of the radiation from the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And, and I remember, I don't know what year I was, I think it was something like year three, I remember feeling quite disturbed by it. I found it quite terrifying that I, I lived in a world where not only could a, a nuclear bomb be dropped on my town and maybe kill me, but even if I somehow managed to survive that, I might die years later because of the radiation. I think my teacher tried to make us feel a little bit better by saying, don't worry, you know, if, if anywhere's going to be bombed, it'll be Sydney a couple of hours up the road. <laughs> you know, or a place like that, a place that's got um, military facilities like Adelaide. Um, and that made me feel a little bit better at the time, not so much now. But even as an adult, it's really hard to get your head around just how awful this part of our modern world is, don't you reckon? Oppenheimer, he also said, in some sort of crude sense, which no vulgarity, no humour, no overstatement can quite extinguish, the physicists have known sin, and this is a knowledge which they cannot lose. I mean, how can you not think about Hiroshima and be undisturbed by it? There was something like 255,000 people in Hiroshima. 66,000 people were killed. 69,000 people were injured. And most of them were civilians. And the more you think about it, the more disturbing it is. And then when you look at the photos of charred and burnt people, and hear the stories. It's horrific. And they say, of course, if something like that were to happen today, it would be even more horrific. We're more populous in our cities, more densely populated. Apparently, a bomb could be dropped that's a hundred times more powerful than what was dropped on Hiroshima. And now not one country has a nuclear weapon. Now nine countries have over 13,000 nuclear weapons. There's the US, the UK, France, 
and there's India, Pakistan, Israel, and there's China, North Korea, Russia. I mean, that's a pretty terrifying list right there. And it, it really does make me think, why have I not been more worried over the last 30 years? Have you ever heard of the doomsday clock? It's, it's one way of expressing how close some scientists feel the world is to catastrophe due to human technology. And this year they set the clock at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest it's ever been. And I reckon a couple of weeks ago as the Wagner Group marched toward Moscow, probably the danger only grew even, even greater at that point. So what does an ancient faith like Christianity have to say to a modern issue like nuclear war? Does God in the Bible have anything to say to us today about this issue? Now, obviously, war itself is, is almost as old as evil. But what does the Bible know about you know, pushing a red button and moments later killing millions of people and sending the world into crisis and destruction? In one sense, of course, the, the Bible doesn't speak directly to that. You know, there's no chapter and, and verse that you can go to that talks about nuclear warfare. But in a deeper sense, faith has got heaps to say to this modern issue. And again, just like in most of the issues we've looked at, there's far too much for us to capture everything it has to say today. So what we're going to do is we're going to zone in on, on what I reckon is the essence of the problem from our point of view what we think is the essence of the problem. And then what we're going to do is zone in on what faith says is the true essence of the problem. And then finally, we're just going to touch a little bit on what faith says to us about how we can live in this messed up, dangerous kind of world that we live in. So very briefly, let me first of all just zone in on what I reckon we think is the essence of the problem. I reckon that the essence of the problem in our minds is that nuclear war is so horrific and yet it's something that we have so little control over. Nuclear war is so horrific, it's hard to force our minds to properly think about it. It's like our minds just can't take it in and our hearts just can't feel the weight of it. And if somehow we can get our minds and hearts to feel the weight of it, it's hard for them not to be crushed by that weight. And the reason we, we tend to either be in denial or paralyzed by anxiety is because we realize it's something that we, we have so very little control over. We want to feel secure in the world. We want to feel like we can control our own destiny, our surroundings, our future. But when I think about nuclear weapons, my mind can't see how I can do that. I mean, what can I do to help stop Russia and, and the US doing something stupid? Like if I, if I posted something on Twitter or ThreadNow, would that help? Because as far as I see, it pretty much doesn't seem to cause any uh, improvements in the world. Maybe if I, I wrote a letter to Olivia Sarvis, my local member, or Tony Zapier, would that make a difference? If only. What if we all worked together, you know, protested? Would that make the, the threat less real? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to make a difference. But let's be honest. 
What's so awful about this is that we can barely make a difference. We should be those who seek peace and seek the truth and restraint. And we should live lives like that individually and together. And hopefully, maybe that could make a bit of a difference on a national level. And as far as we can, we should urge our leaders to to dial back the kind of chest-beating rhetoric and increased diplomacy. But deep down, we know we're at the mercy of forces far beyond us. We're not really able to control this. We live in a world that can be unstable, a world where people sometimes do really stupid and evil things. I reckon that the essence of the problem as we see it is that there is no way for us to completely control this danger. It's like Oppenheimer said, this is a knowledge which they cannot lose. But this is where faith speaks to us and maybe speaks to us in a way that that we're not expecting. Because one of the big things that faith says to us is that we have far less control than we think over most things. Faith tells us we have control over less than we think. It's not just things like nuclear war that we have very little control over. All throughout the Bible, what we find is that humans constantly overestimate their control over life. And faith keeps confronting us with how little control we really actually have. So let me give you a couple of examples. Like in Psalm 39 verse 5, David writes, Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. We see a similar idea in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The writer says, Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Or Proverbs 19 says, Many other plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And James, in in chapter 4, he says to us, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, our sense of control in life, it's really an illusion. And our desire to control things and and keep ourselves secure and stable and comfortable, it's just not in our power to control all these sorts of things. And it's not just in a couple of extreme areas that we lack control. It's not just over things like nuclear war. It's actually over so much more than that. We don't like to think about it because in our hearts, we like to think we are in control. We like to think that we can control our destiny. We we can make ourselves secure. We can fulfill our heart's desires. But if you strip everything back, can we? Is that really true? Most days, 
I feel in control. You know, most days I, I achieve some of the things I want to. Things tend to get a little bit complicated and sometimes I get a bit frustrated. But most days I, I sort of feel overall that I'm in control. It's a, it's a bit like my kitchen at the moment. You know, as you know, I've been whinging about this for a few weeks. We've been renovating a 1950s kitchen and it's gone pretty well, really. Not fully within my plan. Um, we've got an oven, it's not connected, but you know, it's still good to have an oven. Got handles now, don't have power, but we've been chipping away. There's setbacks, frustrations, but it's getting there. I feel more or less in control. I end the day thinking, okay, it didn't go exactly how I wanted. The tradie didn't quite show up or didn't show up at all, but it's heading in the right overall direction. I'm more or less in control. Now, I think a lot of days feel like that. A lot of our days feel like that, the great majority. You know, they don't go exactly how we planned or wanted, but we feel more or less in control. But then every so often along comes a day that shows us that our control of our lives is not as strong, nowhere near as strong as we thought. And those days, they, they might be the exception. But what they show is the reality. We have far less control than we think. A number of years ago, my wife Kathy and I, we made all sorts of plans to take three months off. Uh, three months off, leave without pay from my job. And I was going to get my pharmacy registration back. And we were going to take a kind of working holiday. My job had been really difficult and we felt like this was a way that we could kind of get back some control over our lives. We were going to live in the, the upstairs, self-contained kind of part of my sister's house in this beautiful, idyllic bush setting. I was going to work through the week in pharmacy and then we were going to have the weekends as a family where we could kind of go camping, explore nature and just refresh and do you know what happened on the first night that we arrived at my sister's place? Kathy, my wife, was pregnant and her waters broke. Which would have been funny, except she was also only 27 weeks pregnant at that time. She ended up in hospital one and a half hours from where the rest of us were staying. And then a few days later, Evie was born at 28 weeks. You know... When you're waiting for it to come, they, they give you a pamphlet that tells you how they might be blind or deaf or have cerebral palsy or die. <laughs> I wasn't even there when she was born because I'd, I'd driven back the one and a half hours from the hospital and then I got back and got the message, don't panic, get here quickly. And so, of course, <laughs> I panicked and did that trip in about an hour. <laughs> I ran in and was told Evie had just been born by an emergency caesarean and, and I was told they'd come and get me in five minutes and I, and I could go in and meet her. Five minutes became ten. Ten minutes became twenty. And no one came and got me. Do you know what those twenty excruciating minutes made very clear to me? I was not in control. For all my planning for a break, here we were stretched to our absolute limits beyond anything we'd ever known. 
I didn't know if Kathy was okay. She was somewhere unconscious in a hospital. I didn't know. I didn't know if Evie was okay because I wasn't even able to see her. I wandered the hospital corridors late at night, ended up sleeping in the back of my car, wrapped in a rubber picnic rug. Now, most days are nothing like that for me at all. It's very exceptional. But in that day, at that time, I caught a very clear view of this truth. I have far less control than I think I do. Now, I'm sure you've, you've, you've had moments like that in your life too, where you've got that same view, you saw what I saw. But it's, it's funny how those times can pass us by, and then what happens? We tend to forget that truth. And we go back to thinking, I've got this, I'm in control. So let me just be a bit brutally honest for a moment. We don't have control like we think we do. And faith tells us to stop and see this reality. You know, I could be trying to renovate my kitchen this week and next week, for whatever reason, lose my job. And for all the plans that I, I've made for myself, I might find myself not even able to pay my bills. That could happen to me. It could happen to you. I could be striving to, to bring up my kids healthy, happy in life. And I could lose one of them at any moment, tragically. For all my plans for them, I could find myself without control. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. I could be working toward a, a healthy retirement, planning to pay off the house, planning to travel, and I could be diagnosed with terminal cancer. And all of us, we, we could be voting in a government that, that we think will be restrained and responsible, and one country could invade another country and trigger a chain of events that leads to war that could even lead to nuclear war. The truth is, from big things like that to, to individual things in our lives, we just don't have the control that we think we do. And so faith says to us, if we're looking to ourselves to ensure our security and control, we're looking in the wrong place. And it actually says more than that. It says we're not just misguided. We're also offending God. From God's point of view, he asks us, who do we think we are to live as if we have control when clearly we don't? Who do we think we are to think that we can make ourselves secure and safe in this world as if we are God's untouchable, immune from the dangers of the world around us? That reading before in, in, in 2 Peter when you first read it, it kind of sounds a little bit like nuclear war, doesn't it? You know, it says in 3 verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. But it's not, it's not talking about nuclear war. It's picture language drawn from the Old Testament, drawn from Isaiah. And it's picture language that's talking about the day when Jesus comes back to the world and it tells us that every single one of us will stand before God on that day. And in verse 10, it tells us, and the earth and everything done in it, including what we've done, everything, 
will be laid bare. Jesus is coming back. We're told people will scoff and say, where is this coming? He promised. But faith tells us he's coming back. And when he does, suddenly every single person will see this truth. We're not in control. He is. He will bring about his plans for his world in his time. And absolutely nothing at all can stop it. And we've seen that the issue, we think the issue with nuclear war is that we have no control of it. We've seen that faith tells us the real issue is actually we have far less control over all of life than we think. And a day is coming when we'll see just how true that is, when each one of us will stand before God with everything laid bare, having to give an account for how we've lived. But there's one more thing that, that faith says to us that I want to draw out today. Faith tells us we can live without fear. Faith tells us we can live without fear even when we don't have control. One of the the beautiful things and, and the powerful things about faith is that it shows us how to live without fear in a dangerous world. And it's not by blind faith or by deluding ourselves... Sometimes, you know, faith is accused of of being blind. It's seen as a kind of pretending. But think about it. If it's true that we have far less control over this world than we think, how do you live with that truth, not crippled by it, and not deluding yourself? Because the most popular way in our world is that you put it out of your mind And you put it out of your mind that you're pretty much at the mercy of a cold and random universe. And what you do is you create your own meaning as best as you can. And you you live as if you're more in control than you really are. Now, there's lots of versions of this in our world. Some are slightly more honest than others. But all of them have at their heart a kind of blindness to the truth. A self-delusion. But faith tells us something very different. Faith tells us there is meaning. And it tells us we are not in control. But it tells us there is someone who is. Faith doesn't tell us to believe this blindly. Faith says, look at one event in history. And if that really happened, then even without having control, we can live without fear. Faith says, look at the cross of Jesus. If Jesus really is God the Son come to die for the wrongs of this world and the wrongs of you and me, if Jesus really rose from the dead, and you can be sure of that in history, and if he really says to you, hand control of your life over to me, and I will make a place for you in the world I'm making. If that's true, that's not blind faith. And what it means is that we can live in this world without fear because we know the character of God. He's got our, our good so at heart that in Jesus he went to the cross for us. We can know the goal of God that when Jesus returns all will be made completely new. And we can know the power of God if he can raise Jesus back to life in history then he has the power to bring us to a world where there'll be no more pain or death or war. 
Faith tells us if, if we know these three things about God, the character of God, the goal of God and the power of God, then even when we don't know the details of how his plan is unfolding, we can still know peace and purpose and hope without fear, no matter what else comes our way in life. That's not blind faith. That's life-changing faith. That's not hope based on self-delusion and wishful thinking. That's hope based on the character and the goal and the power of God. How do you live in the kind of world where people drop nuclear bombs on other people? How do you live in the kind of world where this week any of us could be diagnosed with terminal cancer or any of us could lose a loved one? None of us want to think about it. But faith says to us we can live in this kind of world neither deluded with a kind of false hope nor paralysed with fear. If we know the one who went to the cross for us to win a very different kind of world for us, if we know the world that he's won for us, that's coming, a world without pain and without death, without war, and if we know the kind of power he holds then we also know that come what may, we don't need to fear. In those times of my life where I've really felt the truth that I'm not in control, like when Evie was born Premmy, or like when I was 20 and, and my mum was dying of cancer, or even like a few years ago when I um, had to get an MRI because the doctor thought maybe I had MS, or even a, a, a couple of months ago, where the eye doctor told me I have to come back every six months for five years, not to uh, make her a lot of money like it feels, but because she wants to monitor a freckle on my eye and make sure it's not a melanoma. In all those moments in my life, in those moments, I see clearly who's in control. And I always see clearly it's not me. But I'm so thankful that in those moments, God has helped me to see even more clearly that it is him. He's in control. And I've seen moments in many of your lives like this too, where you've seen the same thing. I've seen some of you face cancer, unemployment, chronic illness that just doesn't get better with time, relationship breakdown. And you've shown me as well that we really can live without fear. I've seen many of you do that so beautifully. Not because everything will be better tomorrow, you know, and the, and the cl cloud will pass and, until another cloud comes along. Not for that reason, but because Jesus died for you. You know that, and you know a day is coming when Jesus will come back for you. And you know that that's a day when every cloud of sickness and every cloud of suffering and every cloud of death and war will pass away forever, for good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that even in this uncertain world, especially, Lord, when we, we see it and feel it, that we can know that you are in control, that your plan and your goal is certain you have the power to bring it about. Lord, thank you that um, 
as we, we see just how little control we have, we can see in those moments just how much control you have and just how good you are and committed to us you are. We thank you when we look at the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection, that we can see our own future eternally with you because of what you've won for us. Lord, we, we do pray for our world that this world would not know uh, the horrors of nuclear war. And yet we thank you that even though we can't know whether we will or not, again, see that in our time, that we need not fear even in the face of that. We thank you that nothing can touch your love for us, nothing can touch your plan for us, that our eternity is secure with you because of what you've done for us in Jesus. Help us to live without fear through our own struggles and to help each other keep our eyes on Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.